Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Healthy Perspectives podcast. Thanks for joining us for today's journey, and I hope you enjoy. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us. We always appreciate your time knowing that there's so many options out there. Uh, The fact that you're giving us some of your time is just... It's fantastic, and I, I don't ever want to take that, for, take advantage of that. I want to provide you something of use, and today I think we're going to do that. I'm going to talk to you today about a therapeutic concept, but more than that, a social construct, language. This is a very important conversation that needs to be had, and we're going to start the conversation today. With, of course, the hope that you will take this information, share it with a bunch of people, and have conversation around it. I don't care if you guys sit around a table and all of you listen to this and then have a conversation, but we've got to be talking about this. I'm going to give you a little bit of background first because I want you to know where I'm coming from. This is, this is an area that I have spent a lot of time studying. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you how and where I did that so that you have some clue and understand that I am not naive about this stuff. I have some information. Now, I don't claim to have it all, but I definitely am not a fool when it comes to communication. At 17 years old, when I went to the military, uh, the day I turned 17, I signed in. That was a significant day. One of the things that happened is I was going into communications. I was going to be a radio technician which is the tech field, but the ship date was going to be far too long. And I was impatient. Like most 17 year olds, I made the decision that I was going to stay in the communication field, but I was going to become a field radio operator. And I tell you that because it's a big deal in the military, well, at least in the Marine Corps, everything is dumbed down to the eighth grade level. All of the language is for an eighth grade person to understand. They do that on purpose because they want to teach the most basic, most fundamental things so that everybody can be on the same page at all times, or at least as much as possible. And I say that also because in our comm classes, one of the things that we did was we got really rigid with communication, which is excellent when you're in high stress environments or there's chaos in the environment of any kind. That is really critical. As a matter of fact, when we do couples counseling or family counseling and emotions begin to elevate, anytime emotions elevate, getting some form of rigid communication in place, whether that be what I usually use as the awareness wheel or any other tool that is rigid enough that allows people to talk and be heard, where it clarifies the role of the sender and the receiver is absolutely critical. And I started learning that at the age of 17 and practicing it routinely. Had to. Wasn't an option. Well, it was an option because I signed up, but beyond that, it became not an option. I just had to do what I was supposed to do. Then when I went to college, I studied communication in undergrad. And I studied, uh, I took some really really interesting classes. One of the people who stands out to me is Dr. Natalie Dollar at uh, OSU. And that was a big deal because I, my eyes were opened to the world of communication theory. 
not just the can you do it and can you make it effective and can you follow our uh, rigid framework, which is all good stuff, especially in the military, but it became something much bigger to me. And I very much appreciated the communication classes that I took, pretty much every single one of them. And then, of course, I studied social science, uh, psychology, sociology, and got my uh, you know, advanced degree as a clinical counselor. And that's a big deal because you know, everything that we do is about communication of some sort or another. And so this is from years and years of theory and application or theory and technique. And I'm going to get into that a little bit later. But I wanted you to have that background so that you understand that this is not coming from a place where I, look, I, I, I was not a good communicator. I'm still struggling with communication. And no matter how good we get at communication, there's always work to do. Because the system of communication that we have from human to human is imperfect. It's, it's very complex and it's getting more complex, which leads me to why are we talking about this today? I got three main reasons why we're talking about this, and I'm going to outline them for you. Number one, the English dictionaries. Uh, I was looking at, I just did a simple Google search as well as some research, and I'll get into both of those a little bit. Um, the simple Google search turns up in 2021, there were 455 new words added to the Merriam-Webster dictionary. 455. That is a lot of additional words in one year. One year. That's a big deal. And I went and did some research on this and I found this really cool table. In 2004, there was this article. And in this article, which uh, was written by, I'm going to butcher these names, so I apologize if you ever happen to listen to this, uh, Rexalak, Shugart, and Tolleson. And it was, it was a really interesting, it was about English language and economics, which was pretty fascinating, uh, for me at least. Uh, I kind of geeked out on it a little bit. It was pretty fun. Uh, there's this chart on page 238, and I want to go ahead and read some of that to you because it's very interesting. In the 1st through the 12th century, there were 7,681 words that were identified. 7,681. Now, they could have been changed. You can change the order. You can change, you know, some of the structure of the words to make them mean different things. Like you add an L-Y or you add an S and it becomes plural and so on and so on. In the 13th century, seven, the, the cumulative word count went from 7,681 to 12,695. In one century, in the next century, 12,695 becomes 29,256. And I'm guessing you can figure this out. It goes on and on and on like that. It goes to 45,000 plus, then 81,000 plus, then 127,000 and more, then more than 149,000, then more than 210,000. And in the 20th century, the cumulative word count in the English language was over 230,000 words. The rate of growth is massive. So we know there's a lot of new words coming into the system. I wanted to point to that because new words are somewhat of a natural progression in civilization. 
There should be an addition of new words periodically. The rate at which they're growing, uh, I guess it could be argued that maybe we're growing faster than we can keep up with. Uh, I think that's a reasonable argument. Now, I, I didn't do any research on, our, is our language growing faster than we can keep up? But I don't know about you. I don't know 230,000 words. And I'm pretty fluid in the English language. I feel very competent in the English language. So the second reason I wanted to uh, highlight here for you, culture. Some change in culture does happen naturally. Like we learn new things. We may discover a new concept and we have to give it a name. We discover a new theory or we present or create a new theory and we have to create language to fit it. Then there's also the very basic rudimentary things. We find a new type of rock or we find a new type of plant or we find a new type of animal and we have to label them so that we know what that means when we say an ant. Well, we mean the little bug crawling on the floor. But in therapy, I may say ant and I mean automatic negative thoughts. It's not the same thing, but it's the same word. And so I have to clarify that definition. Okay. So there is some change that's naturally going to occur. And that's, a, that's an okay thing. There's nothing wrong with that. The third reason I'm going to point to is way closer to what has sparked this in me today. Um, those things were very significant, but this one is where it kind of stemmed from. I've been watching as politicians use language, right? They, they're supposed to, in all reality, whether they're right, left, middle, I, it doesn't matter. They should use language that seems the same as mine and actually is the same as mine. And if they're using a different language, like lawyers use different language, and when they use a different language, we have to then be able to say, can you clarify that for me? And they should have language to make that reasonable at an eighth grade level. And if they can't do that, then they don't understand language enough. And that's a problem. We should be able to take high level academic legal terminology and make it accessible to somebody with an eighth grade education. That's an important ability to have. And not everybody either wants to or is willing to or will do that for you. So we have to be really diligent on our part. The politic view, there's twofold. One, there are new cultural influences things that are introduced into the political arena because of cultural shift, right? New language. So it would make sense that there's going to be some political language change, not necessarily a change of the language, but additions to. That's normal. That makes sense. And we all have to get used to that. And we all have to, we all have to be able to come to the same definition. Otherwise, we have major problems, which I'll get into in a minute. The other thing that I see happening in politics is its language is being used to manipulate people. We think about things like economic recession. There's no reason to change that definition that I'm aware of. Now, if somebody has a good case that there's a new theory 
then let's discuss the theory. Otherwise, we leave the definition alone because we need people to understand what we mean. And so if we change the definition, we have to make it clear. I'll get into that again in a little bit. Not the recession part, but the idea of changing language. The manipulating people also includes things like economics, staying with economics for a moment. Saying something is no cost, but we we can see clearly that there's money going out. Well, there may be no accumulative cost, but you gotta you gotta not only be able to say there's no cost, but show where cuts have been made, or you actually have something that costs. You can't say it doesn't cost if money is going out. What you can say is there's no accumulative cost if money is going out, but we're cutting something else. If we're not cutting and we're saying it comes at no cost, but it has a clear cost, that's a lie. That is manipulation. That's a reality. You don't have to like it. Sometimes I want to be able to tell people mistruths as well. And the thing is, um, there are politicians that will do that. So be aware of that and know that just because we want to tell a mistruth doesn't mean we have to tell a mistruth. And the same is true in politics. Just because I want to tell a mistruth doesn't mean I have to. I can choose not to. I can choose to just swallow it and say, mm, you know what? I got to tell the truth. Not what I want, but what is the right thing in that situation. Because the truth is good for relationships. Now, that doesn't mean we have to be brutal. We don't have to be brutal in our truth. When somebody says, hey, do I look fat in this? Uh, yes, you look fat all the time. No, you don't have to do that. That's, that's brutal. What you can say is, mm, I either like that on you or I'd prefer something else on you. Well, yeah, but what? Do I look fat? Oh, why are you asking me that? Get clarification. Because if look, we can hurt people unnecessarily. That's not okay. We don't want to just go out there and willy-nilly be hurting people. Okay. There's three more pieces to this politic view that I want to address before I go on to the therapeutic tick. When we're talking about manipulating people, inflammatory language is for emotional manipulation. Now, they may be going for emotional manipulation because they think they can get an action from you at some point. This happens in politics a lot. Matter of fact, it tends to happen when politicians don't get what they want on whatever side they're on. That is just a reality. They will try to manipulate emotions as a means of getting you to act. And they often do that through inflammatory language. Minimizing their own faults, that's a manipulation. Maximizing someone else's faults, that's a manipulation. Now, they will cover it and they will say, well, yeah, but what I did, and they'll justify, justify, justify. Or they'll remain silent and just hope that it goes away. It's still a minimizing of, of uh, effect. Maximizing others' faults is saying, well, I'm just telling the truth. Maybe that is true. And people can do that. And it's important to not just tell the truth about what was, 
but the truth about what is. So for instance, if you bring something up about me from 10 years ago, I can tell you I have grown a lot in the last 10 years. Matter of fact, think about your own life. If you rewind 10 years, were you a different person? I sure hope so. I really do because that means you're growing. You're getting better at being more authentic, more real. If you're not looking back 10 years ago and saying, wow, I was a different person. You probably need to go see a therapist because a lack of growth is not a good thing. We should be growing and maturing and developing. That's, that's a normal human process. So those are important things to keep an eye on. Therapeutic take. I'm going to break this down. It looks like I have one, two, three, four main points. I'm going to hit them all, and then, and then we're going to move on from there. Obviously, they have some subcategories. So a common definition is critical in communication, and communication is critical. It's a critical foundation to all relationships, all of them. Every single relationship that you have requires communication. You got a dog, you got a cat, you have to be able to communicate. It's a relationship and sometimes it's going to seem very one-sided, but you have to be able to communicate. Communication is core. Now I'm going to point to a specific as my point number two. When I look at families and couples, all of the work that I do, the foundation is communication and it's three parts. Verbal, paraverbal, nonverbal. That's super important to remember. All right, my next point when it comes to therapeutic take about communication, and I'm going to point directly to what therapists do on this one. Clarify, clarify, clarify. Therapists clarify definitions a lot, a lot, sometimes annoyingly a lot. If we don't, if we don't, we run into problems. And I'll tell you why. If we don't know what some word or some behavior or some emotion means to you, we can't understand empathize correctly. It's already hard enough to empathize correctly, but it sets us up to fail even worse when we don't know what it means to you. And we definitely can't help you without becoming reckless. Remember, theory without technique is useless. And technique without theory is reckless. You can say the exact same thing about definitions. Definitions without application, useless. Useless. A definition of something without some kind of application for it Man, whatever. Like if you've got a word and you can't apply it to a sentence, what a waste. It's useless. It doesn't do us any good. An application without a word is reckless because nobody will know where you're coming from. You'll just come out of left field and it's it, it'll be like, where did that come from? Next point, changes of meaning or new additions like all of those words, those 455 new words in 2021. New words need to be known. If they're not known, 
What a waste. It's like saying a word, but nobody's around to hear it. That's not actual communication. That's nothing. If you don't have a receiver for the communication, you don't have communication. So you can have all the words. You can have 230,000 words in your vocabulary. And if you don't have somebody to listen to you, your communication is awful. It's a zero. It means nothing. So changes of meaning or new additions have to be known. They also have to be heard. Normal evolution or manipulation. That's what I want you to think. When you're talking about communication, is this a normal, when we talk about adding or changing of meaning, normal evolution or manipulation? Which one is it? Because if it's normal evolution, then the definition should be clear, concise, and broadly understood. Not by your party, not by your friend and only your friend, but broadly understood. Like everybody has those things in their groups. Those are not necessarily outside of your group. They're not communication. Nobody gets it. So it's, it becomes only communication within your group. That's not great communication. It may work for you while you're in your group. I know growing up when you were a kid, you had something that you said to your friends, right? That's what I'm talking about. That's great communication in your peer group. But once you get outside of that, it's not effective communication. Okay, once we know if it's normal evolution or manipulation, there's really only a couple things to do. So I'm gonna go over the normal evolution first. If it's normal evolution of language, then it must be clarified. Friction points with other closely related definitions must be addressed before the changes are culturally adopted. That means it's got to become widely known before it's widely practiced. Theory, application, theory, application. If you only have the application, but you don't have the definition, that's, that's not going to work. It's not effective. So you got to do that. You got to clarify those friction points first. Otherwise, you create relational challenges that are unhealthy. If it's manipulation, manipulation such as inflammatory language, minimizing own faults, maximizing other faults, blaming, stuff like that, you have got a situation at that point where you should, in a relational experience, I would say, love them from a distance. Take a step back. Stop being so close. Don't spend so much time with them because that manipulation is not relationally good. It's unhealthy. It's like a, a cancer to the relationship. That's what it is. It will eventually erode the relationship and the relationship will become worthless. Not worthless necessarily, but worthless. But if we love from a distance, it allows for maximizing of uh, correction. We can maximize correction because as people start to feel distance, the natural tendency is to want to draw closer. We want that. 
We want to be part of the group, not separated from, alienated from. And a person who goes through person after person after person and just keeps getting pushed away because they are not healthy in their communication, well, that's a person who needs those learning opportunities. They need practicing opportunities. But it doesn't need to be with the same person every time. They need to adjust. They need to have that discomfort which a therapist, a good therapist, will make them appropriately uncomfortable in their communication as a means of helping them learn the concepts. Not to hurt them, but to help them learn. It's a growing opportunity. So love from a distance, or if they are a leader in an arena you are in, stop following them. It is the best tool to catch their attention. I'm sorry, but when you tell me something that isn't true, I'm not following it toward healthier relational interactions and that this podcast helps guide conversation about language and change of language because we have to talk about this. I'm not taking a side when it comes to the politics. I bring those up because a lot of you out there will understand that there is some of that that's going on right now, and it's always going on. I mean, look back. It's not just a a Democrat or a Republican thing. Politicians over centuries um, have have manipulated language for their own benefit. They've done the minimizing, the maximizing. They've done the inflammatory to get emotional responses and hope to drive people to action. Those are all things that are normal in politics. So what I want you to take away is that we can do this well if we create the conversation around definitions, around understanding, But we have to be open to it. It won't work if we're not. We have to be open to hearing other people's definitions, whether they, whether you think they're right or not, hearing them out. I mean, that's not going to kill you. It may be annoying and it may be that they're trying to change the definition, but you probably should pay attention because they're trying to tell you something. Even if they're trying to tell you, I'm trying to get one over on you. Wouldn't it be good to know that? So we got to pay attention to this. Thank you so much for listening. Please share this with friends. Have conversation about this with people that you know. Bring this up at work. Bring this up, you know, with with people that you uh, hang out with at, uh, uh, you know, the restaurant or the bar or the church or wherever it is you go. Bring this conversation to it, and let's see if we can have good, healthy conversation around our language, just about language. Thank you so much for joining me. Have a great day.